This is totally going to be a great podcast thing we just threw together, like with two seconds ago before recording. Uh, I believe it is. You have to think positively, Pat. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Game day is here, or at least Friday. Friday's here. It's like it's like game day eve. And you found us here on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Podcast number 247 for the Friday of October 4th, 2019. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, man who has held many titles over the years. Reigning, defending, WBO, welterweight, champion of the world. We can just keep assigning you titles, too, if you like. Um, just not emeritus, if you don't mind. We like having you around. Oh, I kind of like that one, because that means I have no current responsibility. Yeah, but I think we would still have to give you an office, right? Isn't that how that goes? Oh, geez. Well, I, I would only show up to it once a week. Yeah, that sounds about right. Big news this week in Division Three football. We're down to 246 teams, at least for the rest of the uh, 2019 Division Three football season, as Grinnell, which started the season with 39 players on the roster, ended up with 28 after three weeks and decided uh, earlier this week that it was not going to feel the team and it was not going to uh, show up for the rest of its games this season. Uh, seven more opponents in the Midwest Conference will get a no contest on their records, which is basically to say nothing. It is not a forfeit, contrary to what uh, Grinnell posted on its website, because that is not actually how it works in the NCAA. Keith, you know, we have seen and we kind of watch these programs closely, right? We saw it happen with Occidental a couple years ago. We saw it happen with uh, Maranatha Baptist, called a couple games off and then eliminated its football program entirely. And we even talked with uh, Jim Catanzaro about it a few weeks back, right? Because they had played Grinnell in the early season. And sometimes it is just hard for some of these schools and programs to field teams. Yeah, we've seen it a few times over the years. And it sort of happens one of two ways. Uh, the one way is the team is just running short on players. And it's generally with these schools who have very high academic requirements to begin with. So it's hard to recruit men who play football and who also fit these rigid re requirements. And, you know, that's something that happens uh, across D3, right? We talk about sometimes the requirements to get in the Coast Guard, for example. Is Those may not be necessarily... Uh, solely academic requirements, but a lot of D3 schools are working around different parameters. But in the case of uh, Grinnell and in Occidental, which has managed to uh, preserve football, but not without uh, some games lost over over the, the years. Uh, same with Lewis and Clark, which has, has preserved it and uh, had to cancel a portion of, of a season along the way, but has, has rebounded pretty nicely. There's one of two ways that it generally goes. Either it's the Occidental and Lewis and Clark way where the the when it gets to this really dire situation, whether it's canceling games or whether it's the rosters getting so low that they're in danger of maybe not bringing football back in the future, then the alumni rallies around. They maybe hire a new coach who's got a lot of energy and who uh, the the student body and the administration and the alums rally to save football. And I think the other thing that happens is, say, in the case of Swarthmore or in the um, – I don't think Maranatha Baptist is a great comparison here to, to Grinnell. Um, I think Swarthmore maybe is a, is a better one. And, and I don't know that Swarthmore has, has really um, looked back for a single day since, it's, since it shut down football. But that was a decision where uh, it was a big deal at the time, and it seemed like the alumni and the current players were pretty ticked off about it. And as time has gone on, it doesn't seem like that football program is missed all that much. And I could be wrong. You know, I'm not in and around the Swarthmore campus. But um, I think one of two things is going to have to happen here for Grinnell. And, and we've now done this long enough, Pat, that we see which there, there are two ways it can really go. And one is once you get to this situation where you're down to 28 players, you've canceled the whole season. You either decide football is important to this campus, the student body, and this uh, institution going forward, and you figure out how to get the numbers up, how to support the program in a way that this never happens again, or you just say football uh, is not for us, and you know it was at one time and it no longer is, and, and that's the end of it. Uh, Erla may be another example that, that fits here. 
Yeah, Earlham, definitely another football program in Division Three that is, for lack of a better term, on life support. So we will keep an eye on how those programs progress, and we'll do our best to find out you know, as soon as it's possible to know whether either of them will field Division Three football programs in 2020. The uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by Gotta Have It, gottahabitfanfoams.com. You have probably heard us talk about this. If this is not your first podcast, if this is your first podcast, well, there will be an indication of that a little bit later in the show. Layers of like laser cuts, true color foam stacked on top of each other to create a 3D effect and then uh, allows you to hang it on your wall or easily post it in any of all sorts of places. Yeah, and we're, we're big fans right now. I've got to have it. And by the way, I finally uh, went back and listened to the Jim Catanzaro edition of the podcast, and I fully am on board with his uh, suggestion to use Ed OG's I Gotta Have It. I think we um, love that the product is sort of of D3, made by and endorsed by folks who are uh, who understand you know, what D3 is like. And also I think the pro the product itself, it just is real. It's got a really official, uh, good looking feel to it. And it's something that belongs at this level and is not sort of, um, a, a slap together product that is, that we're just supporting or is just supporting us just because like, I think it's something that I would actually, if I saw it in a store and there was a big, uh, Randolph making one and it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a fat head or like a, 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 a poster you'd put on your wall but it's three-dimensional it's got a nice feel to it it's very light so you can lift it but it's also sturdy so that you won't break it if you drop it or throw it it's something that i would buy myself if i saw it in the campus bookstore or in a store off campus if you're a member or a in the leadership of an alumni association at your college or at your university or you know these people, you know, push them on this idea because it's a possibility for a fundraiser for your association or, you know, for the team, for the program, how many alumni you have contact with if you're a coach at a Division Three football program right now. I know right now you're like, I'm sorry, I have to game plan for Saturday and then I have to game plan for the next week and I have to do all of these other things that I have to do. So say whenever your season ends, whether it's November 16th or December 20th or somewhere in between, go back to gottahabitfanfoams.com. Look at the uh, information for alumni associations and for fundraising because there's definitely some possibilities there for you. At this point in the podcast, we're going to go take a look at uh, some teams that have had some interesting first Four weeks of the season here as we have gotten through September and head into week five. And uh, Keith, I think we we'll do buy and sell on a handful of Division Three football teams. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I have a couple dollars to spare here. I think I can play this game with you. All right, that sounds good. Uh, I've been thinking about the Knights down at Wartburg. It's been an interesting season for them. Of course, they are unbeaten. They broke into the top 25 poll as of a couple of weeks ago. They're 4-0 and overall. 2-0 and in the league. And Keith, what do you think? Buy or sell on Wartburg right now? Yeah, I'm a buy on Wartburg. Um, I moved them into the poll in the low, late teens this week, uh, as well as uh, one other team on this list. I think, you know, early in the season, um, especially as a as a voter, you know, you're, you're very heavy on what you – did in the preseason and a lot of that first vote is um is based on a lot of preseason work where you're looking at who's got a lot back and um what the team did last season how far they went in the playoffs and who they played against who they have on their schedule this year all that sort of comes into your preseason uh formula and you spit out a vote and then all of a sudden you have one one real result two real results and you forget about everything you thought you knew in the preseason. So in this case, I think I didn't, I didn't have uh Warburg on my ballot in the preseason. And it took me a while to get on board. I thought really the, um, you know, the 38, nine win against Monmouth in week two was a bit of an eye opener because Monmouth tends to be a pretty good um, Midwest conference program. So not necessarily at Warburg's level, but one, uh, the type of program that you would expect to give a much better game than 38, nine. And then, uh, and then this past week, 42, 25, 
uh, against Dubuque, and now you've you've seen them four weeks score at least 39 points. A couple of times have hit 60 already this season. So we're looking at probably going to be pretty good offensively this year, right? We've seen now four times in a row. Um, the defense you know, doesn't have to be dominant necessarily, but it can be in certain cases. And then and then it looks like you know they've got uh, Buena Vista, Nebraska, Wesley, and at Simpson could be a good one. Co Central and Laura. So it looks like that the the challenges won't even be for at least a few weeks down the line. So they may get to say six and zero and start creeping on a lot of ballots before uh, before we see them get a good push or a good test in a game. So I'm a I'm a buy on Warburg. I'm a sell on Warburg right now at number twenty. Anyway, um, I uh, I would like to, if it's possible, if I could be a buy on JoJo McNair, who's the guy who's a standout defensive back for them and has also been used on offense for uh, for Warburg. I'd definitely be a buy on him as an individual talent uh, because that's a, a pretty impressive uh, set of uh, skills that he has there. I am gonna wait at least on that uh, game against Central. Uh, that is not until week 10. It may not be, it doesn't mean necessarily that, you know, uh, Warburg at eight and zero couldn't possibly be on my top 25 ballot. I think that's possible, but I don't see them. I don't have them where they are now and I'm not in the, the mood, I guess, to start pushing them up. I look at the same sort of things you did. I guess I look at Greenville's a throwaway. Luther doesn't mean much to me in terms of, as a result that I'm going to measure a top 25 team against Monmouth. You know, Monmouth, uh, very similar to how they lost to Wheaton. So maybe I should be thinking about this differently. But uh, right now, I'm just kind of holding off on Warburg. I, I have, you know, memories of Warburg having a great year. And now this is several years ago, right? And I can't uh, equate this team with that one. So I guess I'm I'm selling on Warburg right now. Cortland, Cortland, the Red Dragons, 3-0, and buying or selling. 3-0 and and ranked just out, not ranked. They're just outside the top 25. Yeah, I'm also a buy on Cortland, and um, you may detect a theme here because I moved them in to the low 20s too. And part of that was the the carnage, really of of week three, but a, a little bit of it happened last week as well. Where, where as voters, we got to massively rearrange our ballots at over a course of a couple of weeks here, and so um, teams that weren't impressive, even teams that won, right? Like we discussed uh, Wittenberg. You know, a team that's now won a couple of games and lost to a team that the loss didn't look so bad at the time when it was W&J, but then W&J turns around and loses. And then, you know, even when Wittenberg wins, for example, you know, you just don't feel like you need to, as a voter, push teams like that up your ballot when there are other teams out there winning. And so Cortland was one of the teams that um, that that caught my eye somewhat because of their their results. Um, you know, they're 3-0. and and have beaten, haven't, you know, just haven't really played uh, great teams yet. Fitchburg State, TCNJ, Buff State, I think is a pretty good win. But again, offensively, now they they put up 63, 31, and 59. So you're looking at a pretty solid team offensively. Uh, had only given up seven points the first two weeks. So you want to see dominant teams dominate. Right, you don't want to. You don't want to see those fourteen to twelve results or weeks where they have to scuffle. And usually, you know, eight nine weeks in the season, we may we may give a top twenty five team one one week where they barely win. Um, but right now, Cortland looks pretty dominant. And again, same thing. It'll be a while. It may be week week uh, six before we see them play Alfred, St. John Fisher, Brockport. Those three games back to back. Ithaca, of course, huge game end of the season. Always a huge game, but even bigger this year because. The Cortica Jug game is at MetLife Stadium. So it may be a while before we see Cortland get a push, but I think what we've seen over the first three games for them in the first four weeks is pretty encouraging. I don't think I could say much more than you've said already. I'm also a buy on Cortland. I put them on my uh, top 25 ballot this week in one of those final five spots. I really like what uh, Brett Sagala brings to them. Obviously, a quarterback, a guy who's a, a veteran for them, and the offensive line has looked pretty good. So I'm also a buy on Cortland. How about UW Platteville? Buy, sell, or hold? Well, I'm a buy on Platteville, not just because I had them in the poll this week, but because I spent some time in the preseason uh, chatting with Mike Emmendorfer for kickoff, which is our preseason preview edition. For those of you who are not longtime listeners, we'll every August uh, 
10 days or so before the season, we'll put out a, a preseason preview edition. And so I spent a lot of time talking to different coaches around the WIAC about the WIAC and, and, and Emmendorfer was um, very honest about his team and what they, why last year they sort of backslid to five and five. They were really, if you follow the arc of the program, they sort of have, have often been the third team, uh, the last one left out in in uh years when they've been really good they'll get to eight and two and they wouldn't get in and so there were there was a year i believe 2016 where three WIAC teams got in platteville plays the first round game at st john's and st john's gets in and to this day nobody really knows because it was such a a uh, crowd at the goal line and in a controversial play whether uh, st john's really got in scored the winning touchdown or not but obviously the st john's won the game and platteville has never I guess never quite recovered from that or never hasn't, they haven't peaked since then. And uh, they went through some, some, they had some good quarterbacks and, and went through a, a little bit of ups and downs uh, with quarterbacks last season. But again, offensively, they look really good, but we, we're going to see really what they're made of this weekend against Wisconsin lacrosse then whitewater the following week. And uh, you know, it doesn't get much easier in, in the WIAC. It'll be stout and, and Eau Claire. Right after that, we'll find out pretty quickly uh, whether Platteville has what it takes this season. And I think the question is probably more, do they have enough defense? Um, because I think they've shown offensively that they can they can move the ball on the ground and through there. Two things to say. Dusty Kruger definitely got into the end zone on the final play of that playoff game. And I'm a hard sell on Platteville right now. Actually, it's not to say I'm selling hard on Platteville right now. Let's put it that way. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to chat with Salisbury coach Sherm Wood, and then uh, we'll get you with the rest of our podcast in just a moment. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Sherm Wood, the longtime head coach of Salisbury University. Uh, his team right now 2-0. and uh, yeah, that's right, just 2-0 and through the first four weeks, and that's definitely one of the things we want to talk about. But, Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Yeah, no problem, Pat. Appreciate you having me. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, so, yeah, I've had a couple of bye weeks here early on in the season. I know uh, back-to-back bye weeks is never anything that uh, someone plans or enjoys or you know wants to repeat. So what's it been like for, for you guys and for the team going through this the last couple of weeks after a 2-0 and start? Well, you know, initially uh, it, it definitely was uh, tough to to have back to back buys. Uh, our, our staff and I, we had to be extremely creative uh, to keep the guys positive, to keep them motivated uh, throughout practice. Uh, just encourage them that uh, as long as we keep working, you know, things will work out. And uh, you know, that's probably been the biggest challenge for us more than anything is just trying to keep the kids motivated and and. Uh, you know, like you said, some of the things that we can't control, uh, but uh, you know, we're here and and getting ready for another ball game uh, at Montclair. And so, what have you seen out of Montclair so far? It's been an interesting season for them. Obviously, they had a big challenge this past week against uh, Hobart, and then you know, way back at the beginning, they. They struggled and actually lost to Southern Virginia in a game that, in retrospect, Southern Virginia looks actually pretty good right now. I don't believe Montclair has reached their potential, number one. I mean, they're a well-coached football team. Uh, Rick has been there for over 37 years. Uh, they have one of the best special teams coach, if not the best special teams coach in the country, and Mike Seary. Uh, those kids, you know, I know he he believes they're struggling a little bit where they you know they lost some uh, pretty good uh, kickers and, and punters. So he's definitely trying to get those things squared away. Uh, but these kids are, are hard nosed kids. They they're, they're disciplined kids. They're very physical. Uh, Montclair is Montclair. You know the big Jersey kids. That's gonna they're gonna give you their all. You know they're gonna come out two hundred percent ready to go. And uh, you know that's what we've seen. And you know to be honest with you. They played Hobart team uh, pretty good. You know, they obviously had uh, uh, a pick six called back, which uh, there still was a questionable call why that was called back. Uh, they played them um, back and forth throughout the uh, throughout the game. Uh, Mount Clare could easily have won that football game against Hobart, and uh, that's the way we look at it. We we are prepared for their potential. We're not 
looking at their record at all uh, because I don't think they reach their potential right now. I think, Coach, if people know or think they know something about the Salisbury Seagull football program is they lump uh, you guys into a box where we think of you guys as a triple option team. But tell us a little bit more about how you guys run the option, You know how it's changed for you guys over the course of the past, I don't know, probably now it's more than a decade, and how you know just sort of how it's modified, what you guys actually do do on offense. You know, Pat, number one, when I came here, I wanted to make sure that we had – um, some type of chemistry, uh, that we had a great philosophy and a consistent philosophy. We want to make sure that we play hard football throughout throughout the years. And that's one reason why I've been here for 21 years. Obviously, we have a great staff, putting a great staff together, uh, making sure that we can be consistent. And, and that is the type of offense, uh, I believe, that can provide that consistency. Uh, number one, to be honest with you, you know, I'm a defense-oriented guy. You know, regardless of what we do on offense, we have to play great defense uh, in special teams. You know, that, that's something that I stress more than anything. It just so happened that we're running that uh, the option offense, uh, and uh, we eliminated the word triple. You know, we are uh, we are a spread option offense, and we want to make sure that uh, we get the most out of our kids. Uh, so we we definitely uh, want to provide consistency. Uh, throughout uh, our kids' uh, careers, uh, and obviously for our football program, uh, I thought that'd be something that'd be be great for who we are and uh, the school we have, and and the type of kids that we recruit. If we can uh, if we can have some consistency, and uh, and have a philosophy uh, that can match our kids. I know that uh, your new stadium is no longer brand new, right? But uh, obviously you coached for many years in the uh, older facility. What's it like having a, a nice new facility to play in and to recruit to? Well, to be honest with you, Pat, it was a pretty emotional day when in 2016 when the stadium was was open. Uh, we had a, made a big deal out of it. We invited all the students and administrators and staff, uh, professors to come out and just uh, – you know, what was so cool was to have people come in the locker room. We have 125 lockers, uh, uh, professionally uh, wooden lockers. That uh, That's that's pretty cool uh, for each kid. And uh, just to have uh, other students come in and just take a look at uh, the uh, locker room, the facilities was uh, was a big deal. And, uh, you know, being, being a former player and obviously been here for a while, um, I never thought it would happen. You know, I, I never thought uh, we would see the day that we have something uh, that's that's new. One of the reasons I never thought it would happen is because I didn't expect to be here that long, <laughs> number one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, to have a new scoreboard and have the facilities that we have, uh, it's definitely a great recruiting tool for us. Uh, we're very appreciative, but um, you know, we're still we're still learning. We're still trying to enhance some other parts of the stadium to. Um, you know, continue to meet the demands of of the kids nowadays, and um, you know that's a challenge in itself. But uh, we're trying to stay afloat with the uh, with today's society. You know, in a way, uh, you mentioned you didn't expect to be here that long, but in a way, yours is like a a typical D three coach story. I think, right? You come back to your alma mater, and you know, I don't. I think people would have a hard time calling you anything other than a Division three lifer right now. <laughs> You know, it uh, that's that's pretty interesting. There was there were spurts, obviously, uh, within the first ten years. You just never, you know, you were still young. You know, you you thought you'd be coaching at Notre Dame or something. And uh, but uh, you know, I think here every three years something different happened, and it was a different challenge every three years. And part of that had to do with recruiting. Uh, we've had a couple presidents has come through and several, they have several philosophies they want to get involved with, um, a couple of athletic directors as well. So uh, I think it was just one of those things that, you know, every couple of years there was a, a challenge and I wanted to be part of that challenge. And uh, and also it just felt like there was unfinished business. You know, we we always was uh, close. You know, we've had some pretty good runs uh, in the postseason. Uh, I think the biggest run that and we learned a lot from was in 2011 uh, when we won the Empire Eight and uh, went uh, up to uh, Wisconsin Whitewater to play them in the quarterfinals. I thought that was a, a, another turn in our program, and uh, we just wanted to continue to recruit and try to get to that national level. 
Uh, that was the biggest deal for us. We just want to be known as a national recognized, respectful football team. And uh, can we break? Um, can we break beyond you know that elite eight? I don't know, uh, but we we have been doing things to try to get to that point. You know, just like this year. You know, we know that in order to get to that national level, get that national attention, you had to go through Wisconsin. You know, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, it made sense to play Oshkosh. Well, it doesn't make sense, but um, <laughs> as far as travel, but. Uh, if they were the only ones available, then that's what we did. We just wanted to see what our program was against uh, a quality, quality program in Oshkosh. And obviously, they're very competitive in their conference. One of your former players, Dustin Johnson, you know, recently, not uh, this year, but recently took a head coaching job at uh, William Patterson in your conference. And, uh, you know, this year has uh, gotten his team maybe back off of the mat a little bit. Do you have an opportunity to watch, to pay attention to William Patterson, aside from the fact that when you guys prepare to play them at the end of the season? No question. I mean, uh, you know, Dustin is the reason why, why we are where we are today. Uh, no question. He, Dustin was the one who really changed our program. He was the Delaware player of the year. Uh, he was a kid who was recruited by Division One programs, and uh, but just a great, great person. And that's one reason why he chose Salisbury. He wanted to be a homer. Uh, he had a lot of friends here, and uh, he he did a great job. Wanted to get into coaching, did it the right way. You know, he got to the point where he was a defense coordinator at Stevenson, and uh, he wanted that opportunity. You know, once I received a call from the athletic director there at William Patterson, and I, basically what I told her, I don't know what you all expect, but uh, if, if you want a genuine person who I know will change your program around, this is the person. You know, he's an upcoming person. Uh, he's a person I think going to, as you see, uh, has uh, did some positive things. Heck of a recruiter. So I knew that would happen. You know, he, he even have a couple of kids from this area. So um, he's uh, it's no surprise what's going on right now. Obviously, you know, one of the greatest stat last year, and I talked to Dustin quite a, quite often during his first year. Obviously, um, one of the positive things was he was the least penalized team in the conference. You know, even though they didn't win any ball games, mm-hmm. uh, we he stuck with that. You know, that says something about. Uh, what he's preaching and what he's trying to do. He's trying to be a, have a disciplined football team. So regardless of the wins or losses in that situation, he knew that he was in the, going in the right direction. Uh, we we joked about that quite often. So now if you look at our conference stats, you'll look at Patterson and Salisbury being the least penalized teams in the conference. And I have to ask, uh, you know, you and he are two of the few black head coaches at the Division Three level. This, you know, this stat hasn't really gotten as much notice at the D3 level as it has at uh, D1 FBS. But do you notice that? Do you see uh, changes being made or do you see changes that need to be made? Well, I, um, I believe uh, in my case and and Dustin would would say the same, is that we believe that we've earned uh, our right here in in coaching as a head football coach. Uh, Heck, I I go back when I was a grad assistant, I used to uh, do laundry for uh, programs. I used to line the fields, uh, whatever they say GA is supposed to do, uh, I did it. Uh, Attended Every, I think I'm going into my 32nd year attending a coaches convention and make sure that I stay afloat and enhance with the uh, the new uh, systems and different uh, schemes that's going on nowadays. Uh, community service, you know, get out in the community. Uh, I believe in just doing everything that you're supposed to do to be in that position. And Dustin believed the same thing. Uh, we would consider ourselves as head football coaches who happens to be African-American, uh, our background and, and uh, uh, our college experience, uh, you know, was just more diverse than anything. So, you know, we, we treat everyone the same. Um, we just happen to be African-American guys, but we, uh, you know, we love the game and we, we believe in what we do. And I think we both, uh, you know, earn, earn where we are today. So uh, I, I think he would say the same thing. Yeah, I'm not totally surprised at at Coach Wood and his last answer there on behalf of both himself and uh, and Coach Johnson at uh, William Patterson. But I think 
one thing he didn't get to say and probably matters in both of their cases is, uh, especially when it comes to black coaches, is is the opportunity to prove yourself needs to be there, right? Like he talked about, you know, having been a, a grunt level college coach and having to do the the laundry and line the fields. And and you hear that, I think, pretty consistently across um, D3. You know, we could we could call up any coach and have them on the podcast and they'll say their first job, they were probably, you know, w- doing some kind of low level work that uh, just proved their dedication to the to the um, to the program and the game. And you learn so much. Sometimes you're you're you know, they call it grinding tape. And I know there's no there's no tape anymore. But, you know, you're just going through uh, ad- advanced copies of um, the teams you play down the road. Or I remember going into the coach's building or the coach's office in the football building at Randolph-Macon. And they're just sometimes just watching like Kentucky versus Rutgers. That's a, like a, the most random games, but they're stealing plays or they're um, – how how <laughs> what's the diplomatic way to say that? They're doing they're research. Grinding, right. They're doing research. They're, they're grinding tape. I mean, they're watching games that have nothing to do necessarily with D3, but they either know um, they like something they see or they, they like what these guys run. And, and so every coach starts out at that level, but then there needs to be opportunity for that coach to move up. And a lot of times it's a, it's another coach that believes in you. So for, for the case of Dustin Johnson, clearly you heard the way Shermwood talked about him, and he, he just believed in that guy as a player, as a person, and as a man who can who can lead another program, not just someone who who is a football coach, because a lot of times, as a coach, they're when you're they're hiring a staff. You know, everybody has either played before or coached at some level. Uh, you know, with the rare exception of your your Marty Favret. Um, every everyone knows football to some degree, so they're hiring a, a man like someone to believe in that will do that grunt work that will. Uh, take the opportunities when presented to learn and and advance to make the, themselves better, to make the program better, and advance the career. And I think when it gets to the point of you're you're a successful coordinator now, and some other institution has got to take a chance on you, that institution has to believe in you as a man, and uh, particularly as a, as a leader and a recruiter. And um, you just, it's great to see those opportunities given to to people who have proven that they deserve them. And um, it's really important to have mentors like Coach Wood develop their former players, those guys who've shown interest in coaching, and then push those those people to um, take on jobs of their own because that's how you get uh, that's how you get the next wave of great division three coaches, right? We're talking, we're talking about guys in this podcast uh, like your um, you know, Shermwood, and he he mentions Rick Giancola. We've talked in the past couple of weeks about a handful of coaches who are in or at or around the 200 win mark. And now that you don't have a, a John Gallardi or Frosty Westering, Larry Karras at the top, like way out in front, there are just a lot of really solid, good, longtime D3 coaches. And the way you build the next wave of those guys is to have guys like uh, Coach Wood, mentor of the Dustin Johnsons of the world. Now it's time for our five games to watch. And the Little Brass Bell game has been high profile in Division Three football since 2005. Even so, it's possible that none of these games has been as easy to hype as this one. It's not just the national ranking with number five North Central at number nine Wheaton, but the other way is how this season has come together for the two teams, which are separated by about seven miles in the western Chicago suburbs. At North Central, through three games, it's all about offense, as the Cardinals lead NCAA Division III in scoring offense and in total offense in terms of yardage. And at Wheaton, the Thunder have been all about defense, as they are number one in scoring defense and in total defense. If you haven't heard the name Brock Rudder, this might be your first podcast, literally. Hosting Red Hot Brock Rudder for the Little Brass Bell. Just read the feature story on the front page of D3Football.com from this week. If there were any justice in the D3 football world, this game would be played in front of 10,000 fans, but it is generally seen by close to half of that. Regardless, this should be a great game, even if Lightning doesn't intervene at halftime. The player to watch on offense for Wheaton is running back TJ Williams, who returned this year as a sophomore after missing the 2018 season. He's averaging more than 130 yards per game on the ground. 
What I do find interesting is that Wheaton has accomplished all of its defensive prowess without putting a ton of pressure on opposing quarterbacks, or at least the fact that the Thunder only average one sack per game. But we'll see how that translates on the field. By the way, these teams have split the last 14 meetings, but Wheaton has now won five of the past six. Over to Keith. I've got UW-Eau Claire at number three, UW-Whitewater, and Concordia-Moorhead at number 14, St. Thomas. This is not just about me being a habitual rule breaker and indecisive person and picking two games. The Eau Claire upset of St. Thomas last week ties these two games together, and coincidentally, their opponents this week played each other in week two. UW-Whitewater led Concordia-Moorhead just 13-10 with five minutes left in that eventual 20-10 win. The Cobbers, who also lost in overtime at number 16 UW Lacrosse in week one, are clearly trying to get kicked out of the MIAC, having outscored two conference opponents 103-0 the past couple of weeks. So there's no guarantee the Tommies coast into the game with St. John's in a few weeks on October 19th. Shoot, there's no guarantee they even get through Saturday evening against the Cobbers with just a single loss. The Tommies did out outgain UW-Eau Claire last week, 479-205, so maybe they'll present the Cobbers a challenge. Meantime, when we last saw UW-Whitewater, it was Max Mailer at quarterback, not Zach Oles. We know the Blue Golds will get after the quarterback. I'm just not sure which one. Add in lacrosse traveling to Platteville, and the Wyack and Mayak are about to make this one of the most well-played weekends in Division Three. And now we're going to send it over to the office copy machine. That's where we find Adam Turr. Ohio Wesleyan has done everything right this season. The battling Bishops are off to a 4-0 start, standing alone atop the North Coast Athletic Conference standings. They've outscored their opponents 147-23. to Fantastic! They've done everything they've been asked to do each and every Saturday. But those opponents are a combined 2-12 and 12 overall and have been outscored collectively 435-196. to 196. Despite the perfect start, there is plenty that Owu still has to prove. They'll get an opportunity this Saturday as they face NCAC foe Wabash. The Little Giants are coming off a 9-1 season, and it's their only loss this year is by three points on the road at Wisconsin-Stevens Point. The Little Giants have already avenged last year's loss to 2018 NCAC champion Denison. The offense, led by quarterback Liam Thompson, is humming. Isaac Avant and Ike James form one of the most dynamic running back tandems in the nation. Cooper Sullivan has emerged as an electric receiving threat. The defense is a bit off from its 2018 pace and will need to round into form quickly if Wabash is to return to the playoffs for the first time since 2015. That unit will face a good test this week from the Ohio Wesleyan offensive line, which has paved the way for running back Trey Dixon. The battling Bishops defense has dominated its inferior competition. Six players have combined for seven interceptions. Eight different players have recovered a fumble. Kyle Hogan and KD Melton have four and a half sacks each. The second month of the season is where the contenders separate themselves from the pretenders. This is when teams with tougher early season schedules, including a loss or two, right the ship and establish themselves in conference play. If Ohio Wesleyan wants to garner top 25 votes, this is a must-win. A loss, especially an unimpressive showing, and the 4-0 start will quickly be forgotten. Thanks, Adam. And now, over to Greg Thomas. NYAA play gets underway in Week 5, and America's oldest college conference is wasting no time getting right to the good stuff. Hope and Trine have been the top two teams in MIAA play over the last two years, and they will meet in Angola to get their conference schedule started. Trine, the two-time defending champion of the MIAA, is off to a fairly quiet but steady 3-0 start with wins over Manchester, Bluffton, and Concordia, Wisconsin. Offensively, Trine has been unspectacular but consistent. This isn't surprising when you're transitioning away from a 2,000-yard running back. The offense has been led capably by senior quarterback Brandon Winters, and running back Dylan Dowling is filling the void at running back capably. Dowling leads the MIAA with seven rushing touchdowns on the season. Trent's defense has been solid in the early going, particularly in the area of pass rush. The Thunder have recorded 20 sacks already this season, with defensive tackles Traylon Richardson and linebacker Simeon Washington accounting for 10.5 sacks between them. Maintaining that backfield pressure will be important for Trine, as the Dutchman offense is led by dual-threat quarterback Mason Oppel. Oppel has already run for five touchdowns and thrown for eight more this season. Oppel's favorite target is senior wide receiver Christian Boz, who is averaging right at 100 yards receiving per game. Hope has been stout so far this season against the run, yielding just 73 yards per game. That gives us a strength-on-strength matchup here as Trine really likes to control the game on the ground. Trine's rush offense versus Hope's rush defense may be the matchup that decides who leaves Saturday's contest with an all-important win. Hope's only conference losses in the last two seasons have come at the hands of the Trine Thunder. 
Albion and Olivet are lurking out there with unblemished records, but we shouldn't gloss over the fact that the league champion has been decided by this matchup in each of the last two seasons. To make things even more interesting, both teams enter this game off of their bye week, and that extra preparation time should make the chess match between coaches Troy Abs and Peter Sturzma that much better. The MIAA's marquee matchup kicks off at 1 Eastern on Saturday. And we'll finish it up with Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. Saturday's game between number 21 Hobart and Union brings to mind matchups from about 15 years ago when both teams were on the hunt for a playoff slot with undefeated records. However, this year's matchup provides an interesting examination and scheduling approach that might not go unnoticed by many East Region coaches. The two schools have chosen clearly different paths in their out-of-conference matchups thus far this season, with Hobart beating Empire 8 foes 3-1 Brockport and 2-2 Morrisville State, and NJAC Powers having early season trouble, specifically 0-3 Rowan and 1-2 Montclair State. Despite some of the records, it's pretty much nationally agreed that Hobart has faced a challenging schedule heading into this game. On the other hand, Union has beaten 0-4 MASCAC team Westfield State, 0-4 ECFC team Anna Maria, and surprisingly 1-3 NUMAC team Springfield before taking a week off last week. While Union's average margin of victory against those 1-11 teams is over 30 points per game, the question that keeps dogging head coach Jeff Behrman's team is whether or not they face a sufficient test before heading into a huge rivalry game. Last year at Hobart, the Dutchman couldn't create separation from the Statesman and lost 29-28. Many of the offensive specialists for both teams are back, meaning this is a quality rematch that will help prove whether Hobart's shaky red zone touchdown efficiency at just 44% has been signaling a warning about the statesman offense. Compare that with Union's 74% touchdown efficiency against inferior opponents. And it will also prove whether or not Hobart's strong defensive performances, including allowing touchdowns in just 27% of opponents' red zone visits and forcing a huge 10 interceptions, is a sign of the statesman's resurgence especially compared to just four interceptions forced by Union's defense. A lot of attention will be paid in this game toward Union quarterback Will Bellamy, who has thrown seven touchdowns and thrown no interceptions in 57 pass attempts this season, and toward Hobart quarterback Ryan Hoffman, whose nine touchdowns have been tempered by four interceptions. It likely will come down to which defense can step up and rattle the quarterback best, and this is where the experience this season for Hoffman might be enough to get Hobart past Union in a close game. But this one should be considered a toss-up heading to kickoff noon Saturday. Back to two guys who are just plain dudes, Pat and Keith. Dude, where's your car? <laughs> dude, it's not funny, dude. The car is gone. All right, now it's time for On the Spot, where I'm going to put Keith on the spot and make him pick a handful of games, and then Keith is going to put me on the spot and, I don't know, make me pat my stomach and rub my head at the same time or something. I'm not sure. Here we go. That's a good idea. Do you like that? I think we should totally do that. That'd be like great podcasting. Keith, you're going to need like the entire week five schedule up here for this. And I want you to pick the five closest games of the week in terms of score. Wow. The five closest games of the week in terms of score. And, you know, obviously, and this could be all sorts of things, right? It could be, uh, it could be games that are at the top of the schedule in the top 25 range. It could be games like between teams that uh, otherwise people wouldn't think of, like Olivet versus Finlandia. It's probably not going to be Olivet versus Finlandia, but uh, these games. Yeah, that was not a good example. (laughs) That that was my point. I didn't want to take away a possible good answer from you by uh, using it in the example. So five close games. So, I mean, I'd like to I'd like to get outside the top 25 for at least uh, one of these games. And I think the one I'm going to, well, actually, this is, this is a non-top 25 game, but I think it's a pretty good one. And we will probably um, touch on it later at some point. Hey, actually, there are some, there are some I'm starting to, to, to uh, enjoy a couple of these matchups lower down on the list. And, and lower down on the list is usually later kickoffs on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So there should, be some, there should be some good ones. I like uh, Brockport at St. John Fisher. St. John Fisher is bouncing back from a close loss to um, Ithaca on Saturday, a game where they they fell down uh, early and then had to rally and end up being a 38-35 game. Uh, And then Brockport, which uh, was was crushed in week one by Hobart, has bounced back uh, pretty strong, three straight wins, and now looks somewhat like the team we thought they would be. Scored 55 the past couple of weeks. A little bit more impressive to score that 55 at Buff State. Than, uh, than at home against Alfred State, but either way, it counts, and they, they've got the offense on track now, and that was a big question back in week one. 
I think you get another shootout, maybe not quite uh, the Ithaca St. John Fisher level, but I wouldn't be stunned for another 38-35 game in the Empire 8. So that's one. Number two, I like uh, Westminster at Case Western Reserve. A couple of uh, pretty nice quarterbacks in this game. And then um, I think mostly for the, the Case Western Reserve part, again, offense has been great. The competition has not been great. So they have a pair of 37-6 wins sandwiched around a, a 52-14 win against Grove City. Those wins look pretty impressive. Um, and again, the offense behind uh, Drew Sexton looking pretty good for Case Western. But I think Westminster, you know, may be able to, to match it. And maybe, you know, I they've they've looked – Westminster is 4-0. They've looked pretty good defensively in all their games and have scored at least 42 in all their games. I think we uh, – when two even when two good offenses get together, sometimes uh, if both programs are good programs, the defenses come to play. So you may see a game in the 20s or 30s, uh, still a pretty good matchup and a shootout. But none, neither of these teams have had a low-scoring day all season, and they, they probably won't have a very low-scoring one on Saturday, but it could be a little bit sort of more midland than uh, than than uh, the other two. I also like uh, George Fox at, at Puget Sound, so if we, we'll take one out west. And uh, Puget Sound has sort of been up and down. We thought the the week one win against Claremont Mudscripts was pretty impressive because that was a program that probably um, was among the the contenders in the Skyac. And then one of the other contenders, Redlands, uh, whips Puget Sound the following week, 58-7. They bounce back with a win against Laverne. And I'm not sure necessarily what to what to make of that, but they are two and one. And then George Fox is one and two, but they've they've played Redlands as well. They beat Pomona Pitzer, another program that we thought was going to be pretty good in the sky, and then had that 15-14 loss in the cross-country trip to Alfred. So I think actually George Fox might be the better team here and is looking for an opportunity to go up to Puget Sound, maybe win a close one. I like this Concordia-Moorhead-St. Thomas matchup. I think St. Thomas probably uh, bounces. You know, it's hard to say bounce it back in that game because we thought that um, – you know, they put up almost 500 yards of offense, and to some degree they had to because they weren't they weren't punching it in. Eau Claire was uh, was coming up with timely defensive stops. Uh, and at the same time, Concordia Moorhead has played well in the past couple of weeks and didn't play all that poorly in either of its losses. So I think that ends up being another close game. Comes down to maybe the last drive, looking at like a 21-14 or a you know, 27, 28-27 kind of game uh, in that one. And then I, I think the the little brass bell game, the one you talked about is is going to be a nail biter uh and i actually uh, wheaton at home wheaton's been fairly dominant i know north central is the more highly ranked team but would not be stunned at all to see wheaton pull out a close one they fared really well against north central in little brass bell games even in years when they didn't necessarily have the team that went deeper in the playoffs so those are five close ones for you this week pat my on the spot may have been long and long-winded but yours should be pretty short i'm going to ask you to pick a winner and spell your name. That's simple. Give me a P team that wins, an A team that wins. So just try to keep it to P-A-T. Oh, I, I don't even have to go the full seven letters. No, Rick. We don't want Patrick. No, please. Oh, I, People have know, places to be, man. It's just interesting. I have, you know, basically in my professional life become Patrick now. And it's, it's kind of interesting that in the D3 world, people still think of me as Pat. And, you know, that is fine. If you if you can do Patrick fast, you know I'll give you, you know it'll be like Kings, and you know just just be you could do the whole thing. Pick like Presentation Apprentice and Trinity International. See how I did that thing where you don't give you don't take one of the you don't take one of the actual options. Oh, that's good because uh, yeah, uh, I don't know how many P's I have to choose from. All right. Well, I have spared the listening audience all of the mumbling and the scrolling up and down through the pages. It's like the part of who wants to be a millionaire that my wife hates the most, the part where people explain what they're thinking rather than just give the damn answer. So here's the damn answer. I'm going to take Plymouth State to beat Fitchburg. I'm going to take Averett to beat Greensboro. I'm going to take Tufts to beat Bates, and then I'm going to finish off the full name by uh, taking Redlands for R to beat Pomona Pitzer, Illinois College for I over Lawrence, 
Cal Lutheran for C over Occidental. And I'm going to maybe for the first time in my life pick Kenyon to win something that's not a swim meet by taking Kenyon over Oberlin. So Plymouth State, Averitt Tufts, Redlands, Illinois College, Cal Lou, Kenyon. I think those are all pretty safe picks. Uh, impressive that you picked Kenyon to win a game. If you look at the options for K on Saturday, that's as good as it gets. And spot check is where we look back at last week's on the spot picks. Last week I was charged with picking winners based on the length of team names, and Keith was picking based on points on the compass. Keith picked a north, south, east, and west region team to win and went 3-1, and one, hitting on Mount Union, Ithaca, and UW-Stout, but missing on Southwestern. Then in round two, picking a member of a conference with north, south, east, and west in the title to win. Wabash won in the North Coast Athletic Conference, East Texas Baptist in the American Southwest, McAllister in the Midwest Conference. Keith picked SUNY Maritime to win in the Eastern Collegiate Football Conference, and that turned out to be incorrect. But in the end, nobody in the ECFC won on Saturday. Gallaudet came the closest, losing to Greensboro 27-25. to Keith, after all, we talked about the, uh, the fact that uh, the Northwest Conference wasn't playing last week and the Midwest Conference was the only possibility. No, the American Southwest would have been a, a possibility for a West region game or for a, a game with West in the title. Yeah, you forget. It's got South and it's got West. Well, Pat, your goal was to pick two games where the team with the shorter name would win, and you hit on Barry beating Millsaps and MIT beating Catholic. Then you had to pick five games where the team with the longer name would win. This was part of Gal on the spot. And you swept through on Illinois Wesleyan over Augustana, Platteville over Lakeland, Westminster of Pennsylvania over Bethany, Endicott over Becker, and W&J over Grove City. So congrats. Please collect your chips and cash them out at the cashier's window. Sweet. I'll do that when I'm in Las Vegas in December for the D3Hoops.com Classic. Speaking of Las Vegas, there's the roulette wheel going. We've got our uh, random number generator working on 115 games, and it's going to give us game number 108. And that is Kalamazoo at Adrian. Game kicking off at 5 o'clock, an MIAA conference game as conference play now underway in the state of Michigan and surrounding environs. Uh, Keith, of course, a game last year in which, uh, you know, Kalamazoo, we didn't really expect very much out of Kalamazoo had what for them is a really great year and uh, became uh, and became competitive. I don't know if there already maybe is a rivalry trophy for this game, but that's one of the other things we have to come up with in this uh, random game. Yeah, that's true. Uh, You know, Kalamazoo makes me think of kangaroo and I I wish we could come up with some kind of Adrian kangaroo trophy, but I'll let you figure that part out, and I'll talk uh, talk sense, I guess. You know, both these teams are are one and two, and I think the interesting thing when you look at them next to each other in the standings is Kalamazoo's got 27 points scored in three games and 59 allowed, uh, so keeping their games low scoring, and Adrian's got 67 scored and 135 allowed, so the the total opposite of of keeping it low scoring. They gave up 57 to Heidelberg and 49 to Hanover before coming back with the win over Wisconsin Lutheran this past weekend. So um, you never quite know how much those um, those non-conference games mean. You know, sometimes teams uh, get beat up a little bit and they ended they end up uh, really finding out a lot about themselves, and then they play really well in, in conference competition. And then sometimes those early losses when they're really bad uh, tend to demoralize a team. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe Kalamazoo keeping their games close. And and I don't know if you remember us talking about this one back in week one ever so briefly, but the 3-0 win uh, against Oberlin back in week one and then a couple games with uh, with fairly normal scores against Greenville and Lakeland. And uh, they just haven't, haven't – um, had quite enough offensively yet, and so this is the week they hope they get the uh, they get the offense on track at Adrian. You know, of course, Kalamazoo has a rivalry game against Hope, in which they play for the Wooden Shoes rivalry trophy. So I'm thinking maybe we go with some more footwear here, and uh, I'm just gonna for no good reason I'm gonna give this game the Muckluck trophy. Oh, interesting, because I just realized you got the Bulldogs, you got the Hornets. Maybe you can call it the Buzz Dogs trophy or. Should have quit while we're ahead, huh? Always, we should always quit while we're he- while we're ahead. Well, I will definitely find a, a, a pair of mucklucks and attach them to a trophy for uh, the winner to take home. <laughs> it's time for the one-liners. 
Keith, Rowan at number 12, Wesley. Well, it's been a murderer's row for Rowan, and uh, they're rowing. Okay, okay, driving into one of the tougher places to play in the Mid-Atlantic against Wesley. Uh, number 16, UW Lacrosse at UW Platteville. Big stakes in this one as both try to keep pace with Whitewater, even though Wyack play is just beginning. Hope at number 23, Trine. Yeah, as Greg said in the Monday podcast, these are probably the best two MIAA teams, even if the records may not reflect it. Westminster of PA at Case Western Reserve. Hey, don't tell us you're unbeaten and deserve to be ranked. Show us. Uh, only one of those teams can do that on Saturday. And then Texas Lutheran at Hardin-Simmons. Hey, perhaps the Bulldogs show they're more than just vying for third in the American Southwest, but the offense needs to play well. Hardin-Simmons has allowed more than 10 points to just one of its first four opponents. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. And, of course, Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. we got six people who give answers to six questions in an attempt to give you a veritable 36-pack of opinions. Uh, last week's Game of the Week picks generally... <laughs> Yeah, it didn't do much for people. Ryan Tips definitely had a hit, though, with his pick of Bethel at Gustavus Adolphus. The other five of us picked games that were decided by an average of 23 points apiece. None of us hit on the only top 25 team to get upset. We all picked pretty poorly as well, other than Ryan, who took Ithaca. And, of course, that was just a three-point win for the Bombers. And in the category of 0-3 teams, we get off the schneid last week. Four of us hit on Bellhaven and Ryan Tips. Yeah, there's that name again. He picked Bridgewater State. The only miss was Keith. You missed on Hiram, uh, and the only miss by three points. Yeah, well, uh, Tips is so far uh, the, the champ here. We were also asked to pick winners in games between the Liberty League and Empire 8, and everyone picked correct answers. Cortland over Buffalo State, St. Lawrence over Hartwick, and Ithaca over St. John Fisher. So we must have all been uh, touched by tips golden picking hand on that one and then we wrap up uh with a look at which which week three upset victims got back on course in week four and everyone got that one right as well with wins from ohio northern washington and jefferson and ursinus check out this week's quick hits on the website by noon on friday yeah give or take hey that ryan tips golden picking hand is that like sitting on his shoulder is that right ah that's a very deep cut for those of you who uh, who look at the uh, the old quick hits, that was his his picture, right? Had a hand on the shoulder. That's right. All right, time for pick six. Back to pass, looking in the near corner for Nap, and it's intercepted. Zahar at the goal line, returning it to the thirty. I've got six games for you, Keith. Six more winners before we go out the door. Main Maritime at WPI. WPI. Uh, University of New England at Curry. I Curry in this one, but UNE's played well. Uh, Iowa Wesleyan at Crown. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Crown. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Carnegie Mellon at Grove City. Like Carnegie Mellon. Uh, Austin at Trinity, Texas. Boy, Austin's played well in at least one of its games this season, but I think Trinity is the pick there. And Simpson at Nebraska Wesleyan. Let's go with Simpson. Our toss-up there to end the pick six. Appreciate that. And this was a D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 247, released on October 4th of 2019. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like this podcast, there's lots of ways you can help us out, help other people find out about it. Hey, you could tell people. That would be cool. You could retweet our tweets about it. That sort of thing. You could also rate it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you know, anywhere where people get podcasts because you know how this works, right? There's rankings, there's stars, there's all sorts of good stuff. And uh, we really like to see those because it's a free way you can help us. You can also leave comments for a specific episode on the blog page in which we post this particular podcast episode. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. 
The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music we use in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Frank Rossi, and Greg Thomas, plus our guest, Salisbury Coach Shermwood, and uh, also thanks to Sports Information Director Cyril Parham for time and assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. What I really need is like an audio clip of the little brass bell ringing because it's little and it's brass and it's kind of small. And I know that like somewhere back in my 2005 audio archives, I have audio from that game that you and I went to when, you know, just when I I think we did a whitewater game in the afternoon and we did this game in the evening back when you and I would travel and do this stuff pre-podcast and pre-teenagers and that sort of thing. Well, Long time. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.